because I was associating, you know, like fundraising to success, I thought that whenever I was getting no's, it meant that the company wouldn't be successful. But we eventually, you know, like started building LEM lists and eventually started being in hyper growth. And then, you know, like uh, it really took off. And when I talked to founders who have raised like tens of millions, I could tell that we were scaling faster than they were, but without having raising any funds. However, if you look in the media, you will never have any article about company like ours because we haven't raised. So I was like, okay, I know that for some business model, it's helpful to fundraise and I'm not against fundraising. So I'm going to document all the process of fundraising. And eventually, if we get an offer, we will say no, just to show that success is not about the money you get from investors, but about tens of other factors. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Found It podcast. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe and leave us a review. Today, we talk to G, CEO and founder of Lemlist, an automated sales email platform for businesses. We speak to him about how he started Lemlist, how frugal innovation drove their early growth, and what it was like saying no to 30 million. Check it out. So, hey, G, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, it's nice to meet you. Um, we always start off uh, every episode with a similar kind of question. Um, it's, uh, why did you become an entrepreneur? Why did you decide not to do the nine to five, get a job like everyone else? And why did you decide to do your own thing? Yeah, that's a, a good question. And uh, basically, like um, prior to become an entrepreneur, I, I traveled the world for a year. And since I didn't really have like a, a lot of money, I uh, used social networks to stay the, at locals for free. Uh, and eventually, you know, I, uh, I even started like uh, when we want to stay for longer play time in some places, we're working out some arrangements to uh, work a bit. So I was like English teacher in Bolivia. I worked as a labor worker in a coffee farm in Colombia. Uh, I work in permaculture in Costa Rica and all these things. Uh, I was like super fulfilled and happy, you know, being like free and having my freedom. So when I came back, I just thought, you know, like what could give me the same freedom as, you know, like what I lived for almost a year. And for me, the answer was like starting my own business and doing the things I want. So that's kind of uh, what happened, you know, for me before <laughs> being a, an entrepreneur and, uh, and launching my first business. Cool. Um, so other than those uh, jobs you had while you were traveling, did you, did you have like a standard nine to five job before? Have you always just kind of done a bit of, a bit of everything? No, yeah, I, I did pretty much like uh, every like uh, job a student can do. So I did like uh, <laughs> a lot of like babysitting. I did like uh, I was a, a sales rep in uh, in like, uh, yeah, fashion shops and stuff like that. Uh, I even, uh, yeah, I did like tons of different stuff. <laughs> Sounds like you've been um, acquiring the skills of all these different jobs, you know, yeah. in terms of that's kind of built you, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Um, so is anyone in your family an entrepreneur? Is there anyone like had their own business or anything? Or are you kind of like, is this something completely new for you? No, to be honest, yeah, it's, uh, it's very new. Like uh, my parents uh, grew up on a farm and didn't have like a, a lot of money or didn't get any education. So for them, like, I mean, they sacrificed a lot. So my brother and me could, uh, could really like uh, go to school, have a proper education. And, and for them, you know, like... Uh, they wanted me to study science uh, because they thought, you know, like you're going to become an engineer. Once you're an engineer, you're going to make good money, have a salary and a good <laughs> yeah. job and then a family. 
but it turned out I became an engineer. But after that, I was like, okay, I want to launch my own business. So. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you think, gee, that, that humble beginnings gave you a lot of hunger? You know? yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, like, uh, I think it's important to know, like, the value of money or, like, what money means, really. And uh, when I grew up, you know, like, uh, I never had, you know, like, brands, like, t branded T-shirt or this type of things because it was too expensive. And, you know, I knew, like, what I wanted. I knew, like, uh, how I wanted to get there. But I knew, like, it was costing a lot to my parents. And I was like, okay, money is not going to be tied to my happiness but I know the things I want to do differently. And it kind of like pushes me, you know, to, to my limits and to always like uh, do better, learn better and, and help also more people, you know, like uh, succeed and, and launch a business eventually. Cool. Um, um, so do you think that, you know, this entrepreneurial spirit, I suppose, um, I mean, we talk to a lot of people like yourself who have like the same things kind of come up and again and again, like they kind of had um, this want for the freedom of it is a huge thing. We see entrepreneurs want, they don't want to be kind of tied to other people's way of doing things or be kind of tied to, you know, feeling like what they've got is that that's it. They want to, you know, have the freedom to be able to move at their own pace and grow with their ambition. Do you think that's something innate? like in you that you think it's always there or do you think it's something that you just learn over time i think you learn according to the amount of time i failed <laughs> i would say that <laughs> but, you know so yeah once i started like my my dad uh, is a graphic designer so he knew how to print on fabrics so when i launched my first business we decided to launch like a, a t-shirt business uh, i put a lot of pressure on him because Basically, like uh, I wanted him to create a huge stock because I was 100% sure that when we would put the website live, we would get like tens of thousands of orders. When we put the website live, we had like almost no orders for only from friends and family. I think the number was uh, six or something. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like really like total failure. And uh, I know that uh, it kind of like crushed my dad. And, you know, like since then, uh, every time, like actually I was looking at him, you know, I, I, I could feel that I had let him down. And, uh, and for me, since that day, you know, like I made a promise to never like let people down when it comes to like customer acquisition and all these type of things. So it was, for me, it was really hard because, you know, like we stopped talking with my dad. Like I didn't want to visit my family because every time we were seeing each other, you know, it was, uh, it was really tough. But, you know, eventually it's like, yeah, I failed in the early days, but I think I got my motivation actually to come back to your question from all these failures that maybe really, you know, like uh, once you feel something, when you're really, really down, uh, I think you know that you don't want to go to the same places and it kind of like pushes you to the best of yourself. And for me, I think that was really my true source of motivation. Mm. I think it's one of those things that you have to experience it firsthand, like, you know, you read like, you know, things about Elon Musk or these Jeff Bezos or like big successful entrepreneurs and you hear that they had all these failed ideas and stuff. But I think it's one of those things that you have to kind of experience firsthand and going back to that kind of innate, whether something's innate or whether you learn it, I suppose the innate part is the ability to get up and try again, right? Like the ability to be able to go, okay, that didn't work. And you know, it obviously makes you feel down. It puts the strain on relationships, like you said, like you, when you've let people down, but be able to, to be able to go, okay, I'll take what, what went wrong there and learn from it and then try again, you know? Yeah. Um, so you're the, 
um, CEO of Lemless. Do you want to just give us a bit of a kind of overview of what you guys do and um, what the sort of stuff that you guys do? Yeah, sure. So Lemlist is a sales automation platform. So essentially, like uh, we help sales team and entrepreneurs automate a part of their sales prospecting so they can basically have more meetings with their future customers and prospects. Uh, in the last, uh, so we started in 2018. So in three years, we had more than uh, 10,000 customers, mostly based in the US. Um, all our customers are companies. And uh, we did uh, more than $1 million in profit in 2020. And we're at more than uh, $5 million AR now. Wow, that's amazing. So it's kind of a long way from, you know, <laughs> babysitting and t-shirts <laughs> and then doing $1 million in profit in sales automation. How did, how did you make that jump from, you know, doing those kind of things to um, building sales automation software? To be honest, like uh, all the tools in our market had raised like tens of millions. So I guess like we had to be more creative. And I think that you are the most creative when you have the, the least resources possible. Um, so we, we talk so often about like frugal innovation, but I think it's, uh, it's something very, like, uh, very true. And in the early days of Lemlist, because we didn't have money, um, I started like creating things like uh, the Lemlist family, which is now it became like the biggest community around sales automation. But for me, it was a community so I could help and really like talk to you know, our users, get feedback, um, work on the product, like share the vision, you know, like our vision was, we want to build the best product ever created. Are you ready to help us do that? We have like uh, tech geniuses, my co-founders, and we're going to grow the team. And so let's, let's have a chat. Let's chat about things that work, things that don't work for you, for your business. And we will try to create always the best content for your needs. And by doing this, you know, like uh, I just put the work where people didn't want to do it. So people tend to be lazy and not consistent. I think that if you can do the work every single day, be consistent at providing value, talking to your users day after day, then eventually you understand what their pain is and you can find solutions. And to be honest, it's a, a lot of the things we did were actually like the things that are not scalable and that people will tell you like, yeah, but how do you want to scale your business like that or whatever? But actually, you know, it's, it's all part of the business, like building relationships, trying to help people solve their issues. And eventually, if you do that well, the message will spread. And then, you know, you would get more and more people and then you can create like a momentum. And, uh, and that's kind of what we have right now. And, and now everything's become easier, obviously. But yeah. Mm. Wow, I love that. Um, so just going back to that community thing, like we've, this is something that keeps coming up again and again and um i don't know about you mike but i've noticed it more and more the more because we talk to you know founders and entrepreneurs all the time whether it's on this podcast or the work that we do when we help them build products and stuff um something that comes up again and again is this building a community first seems to be a great way to kind of start because it's almost like you're doing not only have you got an, an audience to speak to when you finally bring a product to that market but you can also find and test these ideas. Was that something that you were conscious of or was that something that was just an accident and you just, it was a happy accident that you found this community and then decided, oh, wow, there's actually a problem we can solve it. Yeah, it was definitely an accident. <laughs> At least you're honest. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pretend I master engineered everything. No. no, actually like what happened is uh, when we launched Lemlist in the early days, 
we, um, we actually partnered with a company called AppSumo, uh, who offered like lifetime deals, you know, uh, for, so it's, it's a great way to get thousands of users in very limited uh, time. And then because we're just the three of us in the company and my co-founders are the tech guys. So they really like, don't like talking to customers. Uh, I was essentially the only one handling support, like customer support. And because we had like within two weeks, thousands of users, I was like, okay, I can't handle like all this uh, discussion. I mean, you know, it's like, it's super cool and interesting to chat with everyone, but then it becomes like a mess. So yeah. I just said, okay, we're going to create a community, invite everyone in there and start talking, you know, with people. So we had like this conversation started in the community. Then every day I was posting something new, the updates, like day to day. Like I was not really creating some like content. I was just documenting the thing we were doing. So it was little effort at first. Then when people were asking questions, I knew the type of articles I could write about uh, in order to answer their question in like the right way. And then eventually, you know, like it built up. I got more content ideas, then more feature ideas. And, and then, you know, like uh, we started like this, basically like wheel of uh, like growth wheel, you know, and, uh, and, and yeah, it kind of like happened like this by chance or serendipity. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so how did you meet your co-founders? How did, how did you guys get in touch? Uh, actually, like um, we were in the, in, in the biggest like startup incubator in France called uh, Station F. And, um, and eventually like they had their software company, but they couldn't get a salary out of it. So they were really like struggling with the growth. And at that time I had like a, a lead generation agency. So I went to like uh, meet them and I found them, I found them like really nice and their product was cool. So I was like, you know what? Like they don't have money, so fuck it. I'm just gonna spend like uh, one afternoon working with them and give them some ideas and things that they should try, etc. And then like they reached out again because they wanted to create uh, something for the community. Uh, in order to help people from the incubator to meet, exchange, and know which skills as anyone, etc. So I was like, okay, that's cool. Like, let's work together. I'll handle like the business part. You handle like the tech side. And eventually, we we started seeing that you know, like it was a good fit whenever we were working together. So I was like, yeah, I I'm kind of like sick of all the tools that I've been using, you know, for my customers, etc. Like I think there is a gap in the market. Uh, in all the sales automation tools, you know, it was pretty much one channel only, no real personalization, uh, complex interface, etc. So I was like, okay, I think we can do better and give like better ROI to our users. Let's try to start something. And in 2018, that's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, so do you think having like, um, besides obviously the guys you said, like the you're there, they're, they're sort of like the tech focused guys. Um, besides that, obviously, like, um, do you think there's something to be said about having a co-founders there to kind of help you drive the business? Like, as opposed to like, maybe you just going out on your own and doing everything yourself? Um, I think like, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was helpful to have like uh, tech people in the, in the company as my co-founders, because obviously it means that the expenses are not, are really like inexistent at the beginning because you have server costs, but usually you have like free credits when you're a startup. And then, you know, like for business, we were using our tool for customer acquisition. So when it comes to like uh, business and acquisitions, though, um, in the early days, I struggled a lot because every time I was trying to pitch them my ideas and think about the strategy, then they were like, 
we're the dev team, you know, like we're not gonna brainstorm <laughs> with you about that. It was the same for the name, you know, like I said, okay, guys, we need like to brainstorm about the name, find like how we're gonna be called, etc. And then they said, we don't give a fuck, you know, like you will make the name and that's fine. And I was like, all right. So in the early days, yeah, it was quite tough because I was used to having like a, a biz guy in the team whom with I could really like exchange ideas, like bounce ideas, etc. But eventually, like uh, I felt quite lonely, you know, in the I think the first year uh, of, uh, of uh, starting Lemlist. It's quite a lonely place being a founder. Did you have any mentors or have you got any mentors? Um, I always had like, because uh, I love to network with, uh, with people either I admire or people I read articles about and I like or something like that. So I always tried to reach out to people, but I never really had like one or two person that were like following me and following the growth. Um, yeah, I, I try usually like when I have an issue to find people who have faced similar issues and reach out to them and have chat. But um, yeah, I think eventually, I think it would be good to have like one dedicated or two dedicated persons, but never experienced it. So when, you, when you're talking about similar issues, then I guess we can go on to this, uh, how you turned down $30 million. Uh, how many people do you find who've got similar issues to that? <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> do you want to delve into that? That's an interesting story. Yeah, definitely. So um, essentially like... Uh, after, you know, like um, I was I was chatting with uh, with a lot of persons about uh, the success of their company and all these type of things. And I also help a lot of entrepreneurs like launching their business. And every time they tell me the same thing, you know, like if we want to be in hyper growth, we have to raise funds. Uh, that way, you know, like you get your article in the press, you got everything and everything goes well, etc. But when you look at the companies who fundraise, actually like eight out of 10 will fail. Um, and for me, uh, as an early like founders in the early days of Lemlist, I wanted to fundraise. And I think I wasted like a month on investors meeting telling me like, you're in a solidarity market, it will never work. Uh, you're too young. We don't know you. You haven't done shit before. All these type of things. <laughs> and for me, I was like, shit, you know, like we're not going to make it because we don't have funds and we haven't raised funds. But we eventually, you know, like started building Lemlist and eventually started being in hyper growth. And then, you know, like uh, it really took off. And when I talked to founders who have raised like tens of millions, I could tell that we were scaling faster than they were, but without having raising any funds. However, if you look in the media, you will never have any article about company like ours because we haven't raised. So I was like, okay, I know that for some business model, it's helpful to fundraise and I'm not against fundraising. So I'm going to document all the process of fundraising. And eventually, if we get an offer, we will say no, just to show that success is not about the money you get from investors, but about tens of other factors, such your revenue, your profit, your growth rate, uh, the happiness of your employees, and start, you know, like putting other things at the heart of what is a company's success. And eventually, like uh, we documented everything. So I did like a one hour pitch with an investors base in the US um, and it was very detailed, tons of questions about our metrics. Everything was like super transparent. And then uh, eventually we received like the first $20 million offer at a $100 million valuation. And then after that, once we announced it, it just like got super crazy. So we received like uh, hundreds of messages from investors, people wanted to meet us, et cetera. And for us, because we wanted to say no, we just said like, no, we're not going to take any more meetings, but let's see, you know, how it goes in the week. And during the week, we received 
a whole new offer, which was a $30 million offer. But this time, which was a bit crazy, it was $15 million for the company and $15 million for ourselves. So for me, Francois and Vianney, my two co-founders. Without, without, without even talking to you? Yeah. So essentially, it was $5 million in our pockets, plus $15 million in the company, and we could give control, so, uh, and we could uh, keep control. So I was like, okay, shit, you know, like it's very different <laughs> from the VC money that you usually get, where it's just money for the company. Um, and, you know, like we hesitated a lot, and we really like, okay, had to sit down and figure out what the best solution was, not only for us, but for the team. And also, you know, like for the people we want to hire and work with and our values, you know, and, and we realized that, okay, even though if it's, you know, like saying no to 5 million in our own pocket right now, it's not tied to who we are and to what we stand for. So we decided to say no to, to the 30 millions. And then after that, you know, like it was really crazy because we had articles, videos all over the press internationally, and, and it all went really, really crazy. And, uh, but what I really appreciated was the fact that I received so many messages from people who were actually, you know, like struggling in fundraising and just realized with that, that, okay, I could actually just go start getting clients, you know, like making money and, you know, like the best money you can get is the money you get from your clients. And, and, you know, I think in a lot of people, it just like hit something and, and they just ticked and they were like, yeah, of course, like, fuck, you know, like, why am I wasting, you know, so much time just to have like uh, one article in the, in the press when I can actually like just start growing my own business, be like super profitable. And eventually, you know, like if you need to maybe raise funds if you want, but, you know, be in that spot where you don't have wasted like six months of, you know, working only on your pitch deck when, or like for pitch competition contest and this mm -hmm. type of things, when actually you could really like uh, grow a business, bring value, help people. Could do a lot with that five million, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that my family told decision. me. <laughs> I'm still banned from uh, family meetings now. <laughs> I mean, I absolutely love this. I mean, I, I mean, per, on a personal, I 100% agree with you. I think, I, it's, like you said, like it's nothing against raising funds, right? Um, there's a guy that I really like. Um, well, a company called Basecamp. I'm sure mm. you might have heard of them. They, yeah. They're not a VC back or PE back company at all. And they did the same as you did. I mean, they started a bit like us as an agency and then built their own product and thought, hang on, we just, we prefer working on this product than working for clients. Let's just do that. Right. And they always have this thing, like what VC funded companies get is they get good at spending money. They don't get really good at making money because they don't have to, when you've got a hundred million sat in the bank, you're like, Oh, we've got all the time in the world. We can hire <laughs> loads of people. We can do anything, whatever. You know, which is great, you know, and like you said, some for some companies that makes sense, right? Um, but like you said, why you're then there's no pressure, there's no fire on you to go, right, we need to get a client, we need to focus on getting one client, then 10 clients, and 20 clients, and so on, and so on, and so on. So, do you think that, like you said, you had this frustration of when you're thinking about raising funds, you had all this like objections and stuff? Did you feel like it was a bit was there just a point where you thought, fuck it, I'm just going to not bother, I'm going to focus on this thing and you just knew it was the right decision? Or did you have that thing in the back of your mind like, you know, this isn't, like you said, this isn't how startups are supposed to be, they're supposed to raise funds? Or was it really clear to you that, oh no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it myself um, and I can see that this is going to work for us? In the early days, to be honest, like getting all this rejection message, for me, it was like really like a 
it was really bad actually like for for my mindset because because i was associating you know like fundraising to success i saw that whenever i was getting no's it meant that the company wouldn't be successful you know and i was like um putting too much attention to what the VC were saying. So when they were saying it's a saturated market, I was like, well, yeah, it's a saturated market. You're right. You know, like, and what can I say? You know, like I can say we're doing things better, but then they were like, yeah, but you haven't done shit in the past. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I've never built like a SaaS company in the past. You know, like I couldn't, I couldn't argue with what they were saying, but eventually like, cause in parallel, I was onboarding a few users and I knew how to do like uh, sales prospecting, cold emailing and all these things. So I had spent a bit of time with that guy because he was like one of our first users. So I spent a bit of time, you know, helping, helping him out with his prospecting campaign, giving him like real tips on how to write good emails, etc. And then at some point that guy messaged me and said, Hey G, um, I just, uh, just to let you know, like I've been using Lemnis for like one month now. And, uh, I just signed my first contract. It's a $20,000 contract. And, the it came just from like a campaign that we launched uh, thanks again for all the tips and everything and then i was like shit you know like this is it you know like this is what i want to do because i was like when i read the email i was so fucking pumped you know i was like yes god damn you know like i was happy as if it was my twenty thousand dollar contract you know even though yeah. we were broke at that time and that guy was not paying <laughs> but, but i was like damn you know like yeah this is what i want to do and and then i think it's just like ticked in my head and I was like I don't need I don't need like to fundraise I I just need to help people bring value and if they are so happy with the service it makes sense that they will pay and and then you know we just started like like this step by step obviously we were in a really crowded market so it took time for us to develop a good enough product that could be you know like sold in a in a like SaaS way so like a, just a self-service model but you know, like eventually we got there. I think after like eight months of, uh, of development, uh, we could see like people starting talking about it, etc. After one year, we had much more word of mouth. After two years, the product was already like better than most of the competitors. And now it's been three years and, and it's really like always growing. So it's, it's been exciting. I mean, I find it amazing to hear stories like this. I think you're 100% right. Like they're never picked up in the media. They're not on... I mean, to be honest, it's one of the reasons why we started this podcast. I mean, yeah. not only because of the, like most of the people we work with as a company knew on the, you know, the company that me and Martin work at behind this podcast. So or, I would say majority of them are bootstrapped, at least in the early stages. They might go on to raise funds later. They might have an angel investor, maybe just like family and friends or someone they know to back just to keep tied them over until they get the product up and running. Um, but most of the time they're bootstrapping. And a big thing we work with them is to, do exactly what you were doing like just get started on doing something for somebody you know even if it's like and I, something you alluded to earlier doing things that don't scale i think it's really important like yes you're not going to be able to do all this massive stuff at the start but if you just get something going you get something in front of somebody you know in front of a potential client or users and then you get you know you concentrate on maybe your first 10 like first one then first 10 then first 50 and then go on and so on just actually get going to learn um it's something that we like obviously preach a lot so it's really good to hear um uh stuff like that um do you think it's something that you would advise other startups to do um like or do you think like it's one of those things that you have to have the right mindset to be able to do 
I think it really depends on your business model. So for example, if you work like in biotech or medtech where you have like a huge needs of money in the early days for research and development, you have no other choice than fundraise. And this is where actually it becomes kind of unfair based on your team and who you know or not in the business because that will determine whether or not you can raise in the early days. But if you know like um, you are in a B2B space, you have like a technical co-founder and you are like the biz guy and you think that, okay, you can build like an MVP, get a few users on there and start like, you know, like getting the first customers and do it that way. Like don't raise funds because first, um, something that people never talk about is like, okay, you're going to fundraise your seeds uh, or like, uh, yeah, you start with a seed or whatever. And, and then you, you probably will get or give between like, let's say 15 to 20% of your company from the start. Then, you know, you're going to raise like a series A, you're going to give another 20%, then a series B, then a series C, because the thing with fundraising is like, it's a never ending game. Like, you're, it's not as if you just raise a series A and then you're off the hook and you can go up to being <laughs> a unicorn. You know, like the, the investors, what they want for you is to keep raising money. So you become like the unicorn or you do an IPO, et cetera. But why do they want you to raise more money? Because a lot of them wants to put more money in your company and hence get more shares. As you grow, their risk will diminish if you have the right numbers and the right metrics. So it's normal, you know, it's like, okay, if a company is a cake, they're going to start and buy, let's say like a piece of the cake and the money would be on top to do like a better cake. So as you bake the cake, you know, and, and spend all the ingredients and everything, if they see that the cake is becoming like super nice and they want to taste it. And of course, they're going to try to bring like more ingredients and tell you like, okay, can I buy another piece now and give you like, <laughs> it's never ending, you know, and they're greedy. Yeah. They love cakes. So <laughs> you need to be careful. <laughs> Make me In hungry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Same here. I guess it's because it's almost like a time for a <laughs> little cake time. Yeah. <laughs> so on top of all that, do you have any, if you could go back to, you know, that guy who was like traveling around and, you know, thinking about becoming an entrepreneur and wanted to do things. If there was something you've learned over these last three years of obviously, you know, having this hyper growth stage of Lendlist and having the whole thing about raising funds and realizing that you can do it better on your own. Is there anything you could go back and tell someone like um, uh, when they're starting out, like this is something that I wish I knew when I was first starting out? Yeah, definitely. I think like uh, there are mainly like three things I would say that uh, I would have liked to start like before. Mm -hmm. uh, first thing is um, I think Gary V said that documents don't create. Yeah, uh, I would have documented much more things that I'm doing because you think that, you know, like people don't care that it doesn't bring value, etc. But actually, it's a great, really, really great way to like build relationship with people by documenting the things you do by showing by teaching people like the step-by-step -step of how you're evolving into something different. Mm -hmm. um, then I would quote Nike, just fucking do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think like uh, I was too afraid, you know, at some time I had like uh, imposter syndrome. So I was afraid, you know, like to write my first article. I was afraid to write my first post on LinkedIn. I was afraid to shoot my first video. And every time, you know, you're like pushing the deadlines. Okay, I'll do that next week. I'll do that in a mm. month. Oh, I have to wait for the product to be ready to do X, Y, Z. No, just like do it right now. Start doing it. Go out there. And 
even if you put it on social media, if your content is shit, don't worry. Like no one will see it. That's it. You know, <laughs> like you'll get a like from your mom, a like from your girlfriend, and that's it. You know, and uh, and I think like it's really really important for you to just doing it because you will get better over time. Like my first post on LinkedIn was shit. Six months later, I was creating posts on LinkedIn that were reaching like uh, hundreds of thousands of people. It just like it takes time, but you can do it. And um, and I would say that the final part is um, don't be like afraid to be vulnerable, because I think like um, when we are an entrepreneur, we tend to only show what's working, what the best thing is, what you know, like yeah, it's amazing being an entrepreneur. You get money, you get X, Y, but the reality, it's like the opposite, you know, like you have to basically clean shit all the time. It's uh, ups and downs and you need to, you know, like do the hard work. You have like uh, times where you're lonely, you have times where you're down and, and being vulnerable means like talking about all these things. And when you talk freely about all these things, I think it allows you to connect in a much like a more like in a deeper way, you know, with other people. And I think that's, this when I was like uh, the most vulnerable, this is where I got like the most support and I felt like the best, you know, because I was like, cool, you know, like people understand how I feel now. So it feels good, you know, that I were well, I was able to talk about it. And I know, you know, like that I was not lonely because I think, you know, whenever you're doing business, they are like a big chunk of it where you're lonely and and it's tough. It's really tough. So talking about it, not being afraid of being vulnerable would really help you and uh, and go further. So what, what's next? Ooh. <laughs> uh, so now I guess like for us, the, the goal is to help like 1 million entrepreneurs to launch profitable business in the next four years. We also want to be the first um, like French bootstrap unicorn. So we need to, <laughs> to start like growing the, the revenue again. And, um, and yeah, like for us, like those two missions are really, really important. So tons of things will be posted on our like YouTube channel where we explain really actionable tips on entrepreneurship. We're going to launch a few courses uh, to keep like providing value to people and have things that are really, really actionable. And yeah, just, I think we're going to keep it, you know, really simple, provide value, have people like grow and grow their own business. And then, you know, like having a product that helps them achieve what they need to do. Sounds amazing. So you're going to have to just keep hanging up on the investors that are probably going to keep calling you. <laughs> <laughs> Or not yeah. taking the calls, right? <laughs> I might, I might. <laughs> well, I think that's a great place to leave it, G. I think we could talk to you all this afternoon. It's been some amazing insights there, but um, we'll let you go and uh, uh, hopefully have some cake time. Yeah, but, um, thanks. But it's been great talking to you, man, and we'd love to have you back on, you know, after you've done, uh, when you've... Uh, reach some of those milestones and we can see uh, how your progress is going but and also we'll link to all your stuff in um, the show notes or your youtube channel so people can keep to track what's going on but um yeah it's been great talking to you mate been great talking to you Jay. same here thanks a lot guys all thank right, you cheers Jake. mate Bye-bye. cheers mate Bye-bye.